This is an Emmaus Church podcast. For more information about Emmaus Church, please visit EmmausDenver.com. All right, if everyone could uh, get back to your seats, we're going to get started here. We're going to do some announcements. I think the only announcement we have for this week is if you're you've been coming here for a few weeks and you're interested in membership or just have some questions about membership, you can uh, go to emmausdenver.com slash discover, and then uh, an elder will get in contact you, uh, with you and then uh, answer those questions and talk more about that. All right, please stand for the reading of God's word. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carven image or of any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or is that, or that is in the earth beneath or is that in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord your God will not hold him guiltless who takes takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. Six days shall you labor and do all your work, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you, your son, your daughter, your male servant, or your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For six days the Lord made heaven and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that in your days, your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. I feel like I extra miss my wife. Uh, maybe like John, John said, Christy's a godsend when I came to grab Brett. Um, but she was gone all week for work. And then I picked her up and she napped and then she went up to the mountains with the ladies. So uh, it'll be nice to see her when she finally comes back into town and can stay at my house for a little while. So <laughs> I'm excited for that. Um, yeah, it sounds like I got some Snapchats from Kelsey. Sounds like the ladies are having a good time at the uh, up in Fraser, is that where it is, right? Yeah, it's like the third time they've done it in that space. I don't know, I have yet to hear if Anna has um, gone super intense on ping pong yet. I feel like that's like a come home about stories of Anna beating everyone down in ping pong. So um, that, I'll have to ask about that when she gets back. Uh, let's pray and um, we'll, we'll talk about everyone's favorite topic in scripture, all the rules. Um, so yeah, let me pray. Father, thank you, thank you so much for um, the good gifts that come from you, the Father of Lights. We uh, um, 
we can enjoy so many things living here in Colorado, whether it's uh, mountain cabins or beautiful weather, um, no humidity. I'm extra thankful for that, Lord. Um, but you have given us gifts more wonderful than the things that we enjoy in this world. Um, and those gifts are centered around your word, uh, the word written, and ultimately uh, the word incarnate. Lord, I pray that you would give us some wisdom as we look at your law, as we look at rules, as we consider the Sabbath, um, that at the end of the day, we would just walk away from here more impressed with Jesus, more impressed with Jesus, that we would be more humbled by, by who we are, and that those th- two things together, uh, the glory and the wonder and the majesty of our Savior and, and our lack uh, would, get, would bring faith so that we could come to you and enjoy your presence and, and who you are, Lord. So I thank you for this morning. Uh, thank you for just the chance to gather and to worship you. In your name I pray, amen. All right, so we, um, uh, we're going through Hebrews. Uh, we're focusing on our confidence in the gospel. Um, I am excited about that series. I'm thankful that uh, Cole uh, preached on it last week. That was really helpful for me. Uh, we had a couple people getting married, so that was exciting to be able to kind of focus on that. Um, but yeah, we're, we're, go, we're walking through the book of Hebrews, and, we, and we've been trying to get back to a sort of mini-series on what it means, what is the Sabbath. That's something that's just kind of come up in a lot of different conversations. What does it mean that we Sabbath? Um, or should we Sabbath? Should we care about this? Like, what does this word mean? It's come up in a handful of conversations, so I thought it would be appropriate, uh, since, since uh, Cole talked about our rest uh, that we have and that we look forward to in the book of Hebrews, and we stop for... Uh, just two sermons for today and for next Sunday and talk a little bit about what it means to Sabbath. And I thought uh, Jesse should have a picture uh, up on the screen. I thought this was hilarious. Um, If this is a picture of Trevor's fridge and it has a button on it that says Sabbath, um, apparently you have to hold it for three seconds or you can't activate the Sabbath on your fridge. Um, There's just, you right? (laughs) And so apparently there's some features that are not functional on it for like super uh, practicing Jewish culture that doesn't like break very particular rules about the Sabbath. So um, I don't know, I've never seen that before. Uh, but there, there, so there, there's sort of like this thought process about the Sabbath um, where, we're, where we have a button on our fridge. So apparently certain things work and don't work. Um, but there's also a, a kind of another popular conversation uh, around the Sabbath is, uh, is the reality that we should stop once a week and, and chill. Like, we, we should have a break. And I think for most of us that live in Denver, we're like, no, 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 we need to stop like two, we, we quit work about Friday about noon, and uh, we need to stop for like two and a half days uh, once a week and chill. That's sort of like, it seems like the, the Denver office culture that, that I've uh, experienced and so there's this, this idea that Sabbath is just kind of we should take a day off. And, and, and I think there's actually some truth to that. And I think the fact that God's law is, is written on the hearts of men, whether they like it or not, and they're made in God's image. And, and there, there is some of that breaks through, even in our culture. And there's this reality that we shouldn't be working 24-7. Uh, and that's true. We should, we should not be working seven days a week. Um, it's fascinating all, we don't know where the work week came. We don't know where the seven day week came from. Like that's basically one of the farthest facts back in history 
uh, that we can, we can trace. We, we don't know where the seven-day week came from. It doesn't line up with the year. It doesn't line up with the stars. It doesn't line up with the moon. It's like obnoxiously existing in, in, in history, uh, and it doesn't actually connect to any sort of thing in nature that we can connect it to. Uh, and I think as Christians, we know that God created the world and established that week, uh, regardless of your sort of view of, of creation there. And I think it's not crazy then to think that, oh, um, that's something that all cultures of all time have sort of, you know, not that there aren't exceptions to cultures that have rejected that, but just the idea of a seven-day week is something that's, that's been around for a while. So we're, we're going to kind of focus in on, we're going to kind of focus in on the Sabbath and, and what it says in scripture. And I, and I wanted to just go back over Exodus 20 real quick, because this is where it shows up. And we read the 10 commandments, but I want to look at Exodus 20 verses eight through 11 real quick, where the Sabbath comes up. It's actually the largest commandment in the 10 commandments. It says, remember the Sabbath day. The word Sabbath there uh, is sabbat in Hebrew, just means to cease, the ceasing day. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that was in them and rested. That's another word where, where Noah's name comes from, Noah. It's just like uh, this idea of resting. The Lord rested on the seventh day, therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. And, and we're gonna kind of trace some of the themes of the Sabbath through scripture a little bit more next week. But before we can actually get down and sort of get through the particulars of, this, of the Sabbath itself, um, I thought it would be good to look at our view of the law more generally. Because at the, at the end of the day, um, kind of my definition of this fourth commandment uh, is a seven-day pattern of stopping that's where we get the word Sabbath from, and resting in God together. It's a seven-day pattern of stopping, Sabbathing, and resting, Noach, in God together. And uh, Jen Wilkins writes a book called 10 Words to Live By. Um, I have some copies coming for next week if anyone is interested. Um, she's a wonderful theologian, and more than that, she is a super clear writer, um, a lot of, Abraham's shaking his head over there. If there was more women here from the women's retreat, they would also be excited about Jen. Um, but she says, when she talks about the Sabbath, I thought this was a good way to put it. She says, true Sabbath rest is set apart as holy, which is, which is not a phrase we use very often. Um, I don't set something apart as holy very often in just every day. So she kind of explains this. It's intended for worship as much as for well-being. To Sabbath is to cease activity for the purpose of remembering God's provision. There's the stopping and then there's the sort of resting in God for the purpose of remembering God's provision that we might worship him as we ought. It's kind of a long definition, um, which is sort of why I tried to summarize that and say a seven-day pattern of stopping and resting in God together. So it's, so it's actually one of, the, one of the Ten Commandments. And I thought we would spend the rest of the time talking about rules, um, which no one is excited about that. Uh, it's not, 
It's just not like a topic uh, that, that we get jazzed about. And so my goal for the rest of our time a little bit is to say, how do we view God's rules properly? And I want us to believe, at the end of the day, I want us to believe that God has given us rules for a good reason. I want us to sort of be excited about God's rules. And I think that's probably why this sermon was very difficult to prepare. Um, because I'm saying I want God to make us excited about his rules, which is like probably the least exciting thing for for most of us if if we think about that. Uh, The psalmist, Psalm 119, if you're familiar with your Bible, it's a gigantic chapter. I didn't look this up, but it wouldn't surprise me if it's the largest chapter in the Bible. Psalm 119 is basically uh, uh, an acrostic. It takes the beginning letter of every of the Hebrew alphabet and gives you like a like a little paragraph for every single one of those letters. So it's it's really long, um, but it, it's it's essentially every which way possible to talk about how much the psalmist loved God's rules. He is obsessed with God's commandments, his precepts, his law, his word. His rules. The, the psalmist is just going, it's just the longest excited song about rules. And I thought this section was, was interesting. He says, I rejoice at your word like one who finds great spoil. I hate and abhor falsehood, but I love your law. Seven times a day, I praise you for your righteous rules. Great peace have those who love your law. Nothing can make them stumble. And I kind of focus on one, verse 164. He says, seven times a day, I praise you for your righteous rules. It's just not, you know, Ben has not come to me and said, man, I, I have a, I, I want to write a song about the rules. I'm just ready, you know, hands up. And the, and the psalmist is, is actually like excited about God's righteous rules. And not, not just once, he says, seven times a day, I praise your righteous rules. And so what I, I wanna do is I wanna, I think there's a, a genuine excitedness that we could have for God's law. And I'm gonna probably use the word rules because it's just like rubs us a little bit the wrong way. Um, and I'm doing that on purpose. But, but there, we can actually see that God's rules as something that we love is something that we enjoy and is something that ultimately brings us into experience the presence and the beauty and the glory of God. And I think that happens, you know, as I, there's, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of different ways to approach God's law. It's a really big topic. I was thinking when I was, I was praying about this and when you come, when we come back, we visit, we lived in Nebraska for a little while. And if you've ever come from Nebraska to Colorado, it's like the most boring slowest drive, I don't know, it just, it just feels like it takes forever. Uh, and Nebraska is actually pretty green, but it's just like cornfields. And then you get into Colorado and it's just like, it's just like uglier. When you get into, when you get into Colorado, Eastern Colorado is like a desert. But all of a sudden you can like see the mountains like in front of you. And you're like, oh, I am almost home. It's been, it's been this forever long journey through cornfields and you start to see the mountains. And I think that in a way, as I approach the topic of God's law, it's like this large, impending, giant thing in the horizon that looks, looks pretty, pretty similar. You know, if I were to draw that, I'd just draw a line sort of above the horizon. But the closer you get to the topic of God's law, the more 
multiform it is, the more uh, complexity there is, the more uh, uh, different ways you can approach it and consider it and, and understand it. So, so I was thinking about this is we've got this like mountain, this complex mountain range of material as we look at God's law. And, and sort of what I'm trying to do this morning, you may have like a question or you may have a thought about like maybe a little trail off on the, as we think about God's law. Or, or sort of a peak over here that was something that you were considering. But I'm trying to kind of narrow that down and I'm, I'm gonna focus in on, on a couple of 14ers. I'm gonna focus in on some, some, some big points as it, as it relates to God, God's law that can hope, hopefully help us make sense of the rules. Because if we can make sense of the rules more generally, then I think we can understand what God means by saying, I've given you the Sabbath. There's something for you to do uh, and, I, and I have purpose behind that. So a couple things I'm gonna focus on is we're gonna talk about how God's law, well, the rules, the rules will actually show us the beauty of Christ. The rules will actually show us what Jesus accomplished so that we can be more impressed with him and worship him even more. Amen. And, the, and this is why the psalmist can get excited about this. This is why the psalmist can say, seven times a day I praise your rules. And it's gonna show us the beauty of Christ, but at the same time, it's gonna be a little difficult. It's also gonna show us the ugly of our sin. The, the rules, if we really look at God's rules, if we take a serious look at God's rules, it doesn't look pretty when we reflect those things in our own heart. And then hopefully we'll kind of bring that together and encourage you with the role of faith. We'll have the beauty of the gospel, we'll kind of have the ugliness of our sin, and then we'll, we'll talk about the role of faith as we think about God's rules. So let's look at Matthew, real quick. So we're gonna be jumping around scripture. We normally walk through a passage, but I'll be in a handful of different places. Matthew 22, you guys probably know this. What is the most important rule in all of the Bible? Yeah, love God and love your neighbor as yourself. I feel like that's why we have inward and outward love, which uh, I, Ryan mentioned it. We should probably have upward and outward, but we value inward and outward love because as Christians, we should be known by our love for one another. But also the, the second most important rule is that we should love our neighbor. So who is our neighbor is everyone that we run into, essentially. Everyone sort of in our sphere is our neighbor and we should love them well. So th that's the, those are your, your, your first and second most important rules. And maybe we won't read the passage since that's a, I feel like that's a, a, a pretty common understanding of the law. We know that there's two really important rules and we should, and we should follow those rules. And I think if you've been to Emmaus for any amount of time, you would say, well, Jesus crushed it. He loved God perfectly every day. I don't, even, I don't know what that looked like, but he did all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. And because Jesus loved God perfectly, that's why I worship him and that's why I praise him. I know that, I know that Jesus fulfilled the rules and I know that he loved his neighbor perfectly. He perfectly loved every single one of his neighbors in every instance and every time in a way that we could not even imagine. And I think, you know, obviously in, the, in that passage, it says that those two commandments, those two most important rules, all of the law and the prophets depend on that. All of the law and the prophets depend on that. So those are sort of like the starting point of understanding God's rules. If you're gonna sum it up, that's the most important thing. But there's, there's more to God's rules than just those two. And I think the next most uh, expansive, or I, was, or I was thinking about this, if I were to, if I were to tell you about a football game, what's probably the most important thing to know, the score? 
you know, for people, or, or if I were to tell you about a, uh, an Apple TV show I like, like Ted Lasso's been circling around everybody. And, and I asked you, like, what's so great about that show? And you just said, well, that's good characters. Well, that might be true, but you know that people get into it more. Oh, here was the score. Or like, no, but then at the few last few minutes of the game, this wide receiver, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You, you, the, the, the two most important rules, we need to know the score. You may have something right about a show that you like, but, but God's given us more rules so that we could actually understand the depth, so we could actually understand the beauty and the glory of what Jesus accomplished. We're like expanding what he's done. We're understanding more of what God requires so that we can understand more the beauty and the glory of Christ. And so the next sort of set of rules that we can understand so that we can understand more of, God, of the beauty of Jesus is, is God has a top 10 list. He's got the 10, he's got the 10 it's more, more literally the 10 words, but it's, it's basically 10 rules. It's so important, it's probably the only part of our Bible that was literally written by the hand of God on a rock. He's like, let me just make this as clear as I can that this is a really important set of rules. Here you go, here's the 10 commandments. You know what, Israel, because they're so important, keep them in the ark, because it's like the most important place. So they had these, these 10 rules that were expanded. And what's it, uh, I think it's interesting that Paul connects in Romans he helps us and connects those 10 rules to sort of the two most important rules. Romans 13, this is what he says in verses eight, and, uh, eight through 10. He says, owe no one anything except to love each other for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery. This should sound familiar from what we read this morning. Those commandments are from his top 10. You shall not commit adultery you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in this one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So here, here is Paul, not naming every single one, but he's, he's taking what's called the second table of the law. One through four are all about God. Six through 10 are all about neighbor, right? Which makes sense if we're gonna say, what are the two most important rules? Love God, one through four. Love neighbor, six through 10. He's connecting these two important rules to a broader set of rules so that we can understand that better. So now we can say, well, Jesus never committed adultery. Not only did he, not only did he love his neighbor perfectly, we can expand on this, say he never committed adultery. He never murdered. That sounds good. Most of my friends, I feel like, fall into that category. We, we, ex, we can expand this and say, this is more of what Jesus accomplished. And I think... What's interesting is it's easy to stop at sort of like the surface level of that. It's easy to say, well, I haven't murdered. Well, I haven't committed adultery. I haven't tried to steal anything, you know, which most of us, when you were younger, probably, can say, probably can't say that. Um, which I don't know if downloading music counts illegally, but anyways... Um, dang it, <laughs> or software, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, so we can say that Jesus never did those things. And, and sure, okay, maybe that's a little bit more impressive than saying that he loved God and loved neighbor perfectly. Because we have 10 things that Jesus did perfectly now that, he, that we expanded upon the two things. But Jesus actually takes this, and maybe this isn't, this isn't totally a surprise, but Jesus actually takes this 
and says that, hey, there's way more to these rules than you could possibly imagine. And he does that on the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5. And I think this, this starts to really get down to what these rules are meant to do. This is where we really start to see why God has given us those 10 rules, why God's given us those two most important rules. Because at the end of the day, the thing that Jesus did perfectly came from the heart, came from the, the deepest, most central part of his being. He didn't just act nice when someone was upset at him. He genuinely cared for them when people were nailing him to the cross. He didn't just not murder, but he was never angry or frustrated with someone that he probably, how many times did he teach the disciples a particular thing about, about his ministry? A lot. He repeated himself a lot and they struggled to get it all the way to the end and they, they even kind of bailed on him on the end. He was never, he never thought less of those who are in his community. And he brings this, he kind, of, he kind of hammers this point home in the Sermon on the Mount. He actually goes through almost every single one of the 10 commandments in the Sermon on the Mount except for a few. So he's saying, you have heard it said, let's just read the section. You have, uh, verse 21 in Matthew 5, says, you have heard that it was said of the, to those of old, you shall not murder. Where does that come from? Comes from the, the 10 rules. And he, and he goes off in the, his longest sermon and pulls almost every single commandment out of there. But you have heard it said, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. So he's saying guilty under the Mosaic law. And whoever says, you fool, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. Now, I know that Jesus didn't have to deal with traffic. But he did deal with, he was tempted. He was tempted in every way, yet without sin. Here's what he's doing. He's saying, yes, love God, love neighbor. Those are the most important things. Yes, the 10 rules that God has given us are really important aspects of what I'm accomplishing. This is what Jesus is saying. But he's saying, let's just pick one. Let's narrow it down and say, you know what? Sure, not murder. That's good. But do you know where murder begins? In hatred in our hearts. Murder begins with frustration when things don't go our way. Murder begins with just angry that, that we may, that no one may even see because we're good at being nice people. That's where murder begins. And Jesus says, let me tell you the real purpose of God's rules. That from the very core of your being, God is saying, you should love others as yourself. From the very core of your being, you should be willing to give of yourself to others because you care for who they are because they reflect the image of God. Because an offense against someone who actually bears the image of God is ultimately an offense against God. And we may be frustrated with a person in front of us, but, but we're actually, that frustration is, as, as David says, against you and you alone if I sin, Lord. You're the one I'm offending, holy God. And so what, what the rules are showing us as we, as we kind of narrow down on what the rules are doing, they're showing us the wonder and the sheer impossibility of what Jesus accomplished. 
Think about that. His whole life, including being crucified, he never had anything but love for his neighbor. Not he acted well, but he had nothing but compassion and concern for those around him. How ridiculous is that? That, that's, that's the glory, the beauty, and the majesty of what Jesus has done. And that's what I'm trying to say is that this is why the psalmist can say seven times a day, I praise your righteous rules. Because it reveals to us the true character of God. And it reveals to us that character of God ultimately in Jesus himself. He, he is the God in the flesh. So we see him most clearly as he's walking around, interacting with his disciples. And on every single point, just in this one rule, he never got frustrated in a way that was inconsiderate or uncaring of those around him. That's ridiculous. That's crazy. That's amazing. And I think as we kind of narrow in on these rules and we, and we see what Jesus has accomplished it can really expose kind of how weak we are at following the rules. That's what I mean by saying that the rules show us the, the ugly of our sin. Because, because I can walk around and so far I haven't murdered anyone. You know, I haven't stolen in a long time. I feel like I'm on a good streak there. I haven't committed adultery. But we could go into each one of those rules and say, well, Aaron, what's coming out of your heart? Have you been frustrated with a brother? Have you desired something that God hasn't given you? Have you had 100% pure thoughts about every woman that's walking around? As we zoom in on the rules... It's discouraging because it shows us kind of the ugliness of our sin. It shows us the despicableness of who we are as we compare ourselves to the beauty and the glory and the majesty of what Jesus has done. This is what Paul picks up on in Romans 3. He says in verse, uh, chapter three, verses 19 and 20, he says, now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, talking about those rules, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. He's saying, you, if you really take the law serious, you can't have a good relationship with God because you're a failure. And he says, since, why is that? Because the law, the rules, comes knowledge of sin. If we take the, the law seriously, it brings knowledge of our sin. And in a sense, ignorance is a little easier than that. And what's fascinating is Paul in Ephesians says we should expose those things. We should actually get down to the, the root issue in the, the ways we break the rules and we should bring those things to light. We should expose those things. This makes it harder to believe the psalmist saying seven times a day I praise your righteous rules. 
as we feel the weight of our sin, the fact that we do fall short of the glory of God, and we, and we look over here and we see Jesus, and it, it, just thinking about what he did for a moment, you can look at how Jesus followed all the rules down to the very heart level, and if you stop and consider yourself for a moment, you have to say, how in the world? This is why I'm not excited about the rules. How can I go from myself over here, the little bit of my heart I may even want to expose and deal with, to Jesus over here with glory and honor and majesty and, and the things that he went through and the fact that he never, ever once broke a rule, always considering his neighbors, always considering the Lord. And I think if those are the only two things we were left with, we would not be excited about rules. But this is where faith comes in. This is where the rules help us see sort of the role of faith. Because, because God is doing something supernatural with his people. God is trying very hard through his rules to expose us to the glory and the beauty and the majesty of Christ. God is trying very hard through revealing his rules to help us see our sin, the, the ugliness of that, the, the depths of that, the, just the, how it's like built into who we are. And he's saying, I want to do something. I, I want to have a religion. I want to, Christianity is about doing something supernatural to transform you and I from here to here. That's what God is promising Look at Galatians 3. Galatians 3, verse 10. He says, for all who rely on the works of the law, if you're relying on doing the rules, you're under a curse. It is not gonna work so well for you. For it's written, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Do you feel pretty comfortable in one space, but maybe not another? doesn't work. God's standard is perfection. Now it's evident, we, we talked about this in Romans, that no one is justified before God by the law. He's like, you know, we know that. But he says, the righteous shall live by faith. This is where the law helps us see the role of faith. The law is not a faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. And there's kind of a lot packed into those verses. But he's saying we should be cursed. But this is the beauty of being in Christ. This is the beauty of God actually taking the wonder and the majesty and the glory of all of his law keeping and what we deserve over here is a curse. And he's saying, in Christ, I'm bringing those things together. In a supernatural way, I'm connecting those things so that Jesus becomes the curse and you become the righteousness. This is, this, he's, he's asking you to believe what he's capable of doing. I'm, he says, I'm exchanging these things. I'm, I'm taking the curse that you are because you don't follow the law 
And I'm, I'm putting that on Christ. And everything sort of centers around the cross. And there's this great exchange where, where Jesus becomes sin like we are so that we could become the righteousness of God. He, he connects us together and he's saying, believe what I can do. Believe what I can do. You can actually, you can love the law because it shows you the beauty of Christ. You can love the law because it actually reveals how ugly your sin is. Because if you believe, if you have faith, those are the same words, that I can bring these things together and exchange it for you, I'm, I can bring life to your bodies and utterly transform you. I can make you like he is. And he hints at that in Galatians. He says that we received the promised spirit. And in Romans, we get sort of like an expansion of that. It gives us a, a little more. Look at Romans 8. Starting in verse 1, he says, Therefore, there's, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's kind of what he said in Galatians. He's like, you are not cursed anymore because in a supernatural way, you've been united to Christ. You're in him. There's been an exchange. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus, again, with that connection from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. He's saying, I can show you my glory and my beauty and my majesty in Christ. And I can show you how bad you are with all the rules. But that doesn't fix anything. Those are still, there's a giant chasm between those two things. And he fixed that by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. And look what he says in verse four. Why did Jesus go through all of that? In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Think about that. The crazy, impossible, from the heart love that Jesus had for everyone he interacted with. Amen. The, every single one of those 10 commandments, the loving God and the loving neighbor, Jesus went through everything he went through. Why? In order that the righteous requirement of the law, the rules, in order we, so that we could follow the rules. He did all that to make our following of the rules possible. And if you have a right view of those rules and what they are actually asking of you, that is a supernatural thing. That's not just looking good on the outside. That's your thoughts changing from frustration to love and compassion. That's the kind of power that the gospel is capable of. That's, what, that's the role of faith. He's saying, trust me. He's saying, I went through all this so I could make this possible. I'm showing you the rules and the gap here because I've supernaturally given you my spirit to make it possible for you to go from here to here, to actually have transformation in your heart so you could look more like Christ. And he says, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. This is where, the, where faith, where trust, where believing the promises of God comes in. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. He's telling us that this is a supernatural act that happens to the spirit. 
And if we don't love his rules, if we don't see this huge gap between what Jesus has done and who we are, then what God accomplishes in us is we're likable. You know, like, you, know, you don't have to, you don't need a supernatural third person of the Trinity to be likable, you know? You can go to some seminars for that. If we don't love his rules, we don't see that gap, we actually miss out on the supernatural element of our religion. We miss out on what God is actually capable of doing. So what does this have to do with the Sabbath? (laughs) The Sabbath is another one of those rules. You know, we could go through all 10, which is why I recommended this book. It's a great book, 10 words to live by. Um, And if you want uh, the sanctifying experience of considering each one of those top 10 rules in your own self in light of those rules, uh, it's a really good book to read. Um, but we're going to talk about the Sabbath a little bit. Uh, so what does that have to do with the Sabbath? Part of loving God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength is that God has designed a day weekly for us to stop and rest in him. And that same rule is going to do a couple things. It's gonna show us how awesome Jesus is. We're gonna talk a lot more about this next week. The Sabbath actually was implemented, that, that seven-day pattern was implemented before sin. Like sin hadn't even showed up in the world yet. And God's like, hey, let me give you a picture of the reality, Adam and Eve, that there's something better. There's something beyond what you're experiencing in the garden without sin. There, God's pointing forward to a a reality where the fall isn't possible. He's pointing forward to something that Adam was supposed to accomplish so that we could be in God's presence in a way that was beyond what was in the garden, even before the fall. And then now sin comes in the world, messes all that up. And there's a few things added to that. Now you have to look back at the fact that God has rescued us from that state, that fallen state. In Christ, we're united to him. That exchange has happened. We talked about that. But as Cole said, we're, looking, we're still looking forward to something even greater. We're looking, this is not the end goal here. The end goal is to be in the very presence of God and enjoy him forever, which is where Jesus is today. We can learn about what Jesus accomplished So we'll see wonderful things about this rule that will show us what Jesus has accomplished. But it kind of, just like the other rules, it presses on us a little bit. Because it says, is that what you really want? Do you want rest in the presence of God? Is that what occupies your mind throughout the week? just enjoying God? Is that what you do your six days of labor for because you just look forward to to spending time considering my creator? Is that where our hearts are fixed? I mean, it's not mine. And I do this for a living. 
God's saying, I can transform you so that all the things you desire, all the things that circulate in your brain all week, all the things you're fighting for and, and moving towards can seem like nothing compared to me. God has a rule that exposes the fact that if we're honest with ourselves, I'd probably rather have a week in Mexico than a week in the presence of God. And he's pressing on us. And he's saying, but this is why I've given you the gospel. I've given you the supernatural reality that I can change your desires so that you value to rest in me. And if we don't take his rule seriously, if we don't look at that rule, if we ignore that and pretend it's not on the top 10 list, then we ignore the broken part of our heart that values the presence of so many other things over a God. And God's saying, I love you and I've given you this rule so that you can see what you find your rest in that's not me so I can change you so that you can enjoy me more. And that's the beauty of the rules. And I think that's the change that's supernatural. And when we see that supernatural change in our life, regardless of what the rule is, we can say like the psalmist, I praise seven times a day, I praise your righteous rules. Because it shows me the beauty of Jesus, it shows me what I lack, and it brings faith to bear, and I can see transformation that's amazing. That's the beauty of the gospel. We're gonna, talk, we're gonna talk more about the details of the Sabbath next week. Um, there's only so much we can cover in a, in, a, in a one sermon thing. So I think we're gonna do a Q&A. We'll send some communication out afterwards. We'll have some like sandwich lunch for people to sort of enjoy. Um, but we're gonna try to trace the Sabbath so we can see the beauty of Christ. We can see the ugliness of our sin. And ultimately we can see transformation in our hearts so that we value and crave the presence of God more. So looking forward to talking more about those details next week, but I hope our consideration of the law this morning was helpful for you guys. Let's pray. Father, thank you for exposing us. Man, we're really good at feeling good about ourselves um, and making ourselves the center of the universe, Lord, but you bring your rules that show us that you're the center of the universe. Let's show us that if we boast in anything, it should be boasting in your grace and your mercy and your love for your people. Lord, you know how wicked we are more than anyone. And yet you died for us. Yet you loved us before the world was created. You have destined for us to be in your presence and enjoy you forever. Lord, I pray that as we wrestle with your rules, whether they're ones we like or ones we don't, at the end of the day, those rules would enable us to experience more of your presence, to value you more than we did before. So I thank you for this time of worship and your wisdom in, in giving us these rules. In your name I pray, amen.